0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or SleepNumber.com.
1: Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesuto Ophil. That
2: is some absolutely world-class sitting down there, staying at home, just sitting down. Oh, look, there he goes. He's eaten his fourth sandwich of the day. This is Remarkable.
1: This is Arsecast Extra.
2: Hello and welcome to a brand new Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnar Blog. James, goodie morning to you because I got that perfectly this week. I didn't
1: fuck it up. Wow. It couldn't be goodlier. That's Couldna. amazing. Yeah. It's not that as might if the I, first time ever. Yeah, well, I
2: wasn't even practicing or anything. So, so it's there like you go. when you
1: don't think about it. It's like Theo Walcott I'm finishing. The less you think about it, the better it gets. The goes. better
2: it gets. Yeah, exactly. The automatisms, podcasting automatisms. How are you?
1: I am good, thank you. I good. think I've learned something this weekend, which is that basically, normally in my life, I don't really mm. do a five-day week. I'm sure you're sort of the same mm. because of football and stuff. You end up working a lot on the weekends, and yeah. But but in the absence of football, I have—I oh, think there's my door just gone. I don't oh, know. No, so early for an interruption. In the podcast. One second, I've just got to answer the door. Okay, no problem.
2: I should put in the door answering music here, but maybe I'll just hang on and see see what happens. Anyone interesting calling to James's house? Can't hear. Probably the postman. Maybe the elec the electricity guy come to read the meter. The gas dude. Could be any number of people. We'll find out soon enough. Who is it? Hello. Uh, hello. Hi. Who was it? Do
1: you know what? It was the postman. Right. Thought it might be. And him. he put the thing through the letterbox, but he knocked as well. How do, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's good postmanship? Because it's like, well, now they know they've got a delivery. It seems
2: think, it seems too much. It's
1: ostentatious. I agree. It's like it's like he might as well have graffitied his name on the door. It's, do you know like, I mean?
2: it's like doing a knee slide celebration when you scored the fifth goal and it's the 97th minute of a game. You know, come on, man. Yeah. Just, you know, do your job, put the ball in the net, walk back to the centre circle, have a handshake if you want. But that's the the postal equivalent of that.
1: There are some quite funny Arsenal examples of um, knee slides gone wrong. I mean, obviously, what's not funny is uh, Patrick Vieira injured himself, I think. That's right. Yeah.
2: Scoring against Manchester United in the 97-98 season.
1: But there are also Olivier Giroud and Aaron Ramsey have both done a thing where they <laughs> have attempted knee slides, but the sort of ground hasn't been slick enough. So yeah. they've just sort of fallen forward. Go it, forward. it is funny. Yeah.
2: I don't mind things like that. I think things like that are, are amusing. We need more yeah. of that. I m- I miss They're things like that.
1: Part of the tapestry of football, aren't they?
2: They sure are. They sure I'll finish
1: are. my point that I was making,
2: which was about weeks. Oh yes, I'd forgotten completely about that. I was, you know, know. sidetracked it's by like the postman. I know. It was that interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Uh-huh.
1: But th- basically, I have been doing more of a Monday to Friday and then trying to have a weekend. But right. the problem is, once sort of once I get to about halfway through Saturday, I'm kind of like i uh, Sort of got nothing to do actually, <laughs> so I get quite fed up in the second half of the weekend because I'm stuck in my house.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, we we've, we've been sort of watching classic movies of, of a Sunday and watching a, a movie on a Saturday night. You know, while many That's people a good way to do it. many people are doing things on Saturday night over Zoom and stuff like that. I'm I'm going to mention something now, but because um my daughter is in Barcelona, we watch a movie together. And we all just sort of WhatsApp, you know, about how terrible the mm. movie is and and stuff like that, and then. Sunday evening classic movie. So we've done the Godfather parts one, two, and three now. um, The last three weeks. So yeah, it it gives a little bit of of structure to it. But were you doing quizzes by any chance at the weekend?
1: Yeah, mate. Yeah, so many quizzes.
2: I'm gonna I'm gonna give a shout out to the guys. um, Got an email from Ross. He said, "Me and my friend were long time readers, listeners to the podcast, and they've set up this thing called Quarantined Quiz." Uh, which is okay. at quarantined quiz on Twitter and you can join in uh, the website let me see if I can find it here I should have had this up boom um, boom I know it was here I'll just search my email for the word quiz because I don't get too many uh, quiz related oh, it's stuff. Related it's emails. the quarantinedquiz.com. apparently free to play but if you give a bit of a donation to charity that's that's the deal with that but they sent us a um, uh, uh, a Twitter kind of quiz question thing here, which I've looked at briefly, but haven't really looked at. So I'm going to send it to you on the chat thing here. You can open it up and see mm-hmm. if we can get these things, uh, get these questions answered. So there it is going through to you right now.
1: Okay. One for your followers, after looking, look. name these three ex-Arsenal players. Yeah. Um. Uh, so but on my on my on my uh, screen the image hasn't loaded. So it hasn't.
2: So reload re- just refresh it I
1: guess. Yeah. Well, let's try it in a diff- oh, here you go. Yeah. Oh, it's emoji based clues.
2: Exactly. So I looked at these briefly and couldn't figure them out because uh, I'm really shit at this kind of stuff. So the first one is map truck leg truck long horse t-shirt.
1: We all remember him. Yeah, I mean. He was an excellent signing. Yeah.
2: Second one is, uh, I don't know. I don't know, Lion. Yeah. Lion. Lion. Sandwich Test Tube A. Yeah. And then the third one is Music Notes Tent Bell. Yeah. So (laughs) I'm a little bit, um, I'm not good with stuff like this. Are right, you good at, at this? You've been doing quizzes. loads of quizzes. So I, I figure you are the expert at what's going on here. So,
1: By the way, I've still got more people, more friends coming out of the woodwork being like, shall we do a quiz at this point in lockdown? It's like, if we haven't done one before now, why, why, we, why we wouldn't hang out normally. Why are we doing a quiz? Exactly. And like, if you were so fucking into quizzes, why yeah. didn't we do any before? Exactly. I mean, I I never honestly thought I would be doing as many quizzes on this. I haven't got a clue. I haven't got a clue. Map, map truck map. leg, world, van, van. Oh, uh, oh, van Bronckhurst. That's Geo. Va- Geo is the map. Right, van. van. Knee, the knee of the Ah, leg. Okay, van. Then van again. Bronchial lungs. Bronchial lungs. Horse. T. A t shirt.
2: Van bronch. Why didn't they just put the letter T at the end? That's, you see. Okay.
1: So, the next one shrugging lady lion. Mm. Mmm. Main. Sandwich.
2: Main. Bread tube. Tuba,
1: tuba. Yeah. Um, someone that ends in uh, a, a. Casola, uh, mm. Sanya. I don't know. <gasps> and the other one. San. Mm. N- uh, San as in sandwich. Yeah. I, I think there's a very heavy visual component here. That yeah. If, if you've got these at home, you deserve a medal.
2: I will uh I'll put it retweet in the notes. I'll put it put in, the, in notes. the notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll I'll give a I give a retweet of this tweet. The the third one note tent, tent bell, bell ring. Tent ring
1: tent ring tent ring music tent ring Don't, don't know.
2: Think. I don't know. I'm sure people are out there, as they do uh, every week at this podcast, scream at their um, devices because of our ignorance. So no doubt they're doing that again. <laughs> but if you want to find out more, the quarantinedquiz.com and uh, quarantinedquiz on Twitter. I mean, I have to say, if I were somehow co-opted into doing one of these things, sure, and that was like the first question, I would like... I'd rage quit. I'd what rage quit like a game of FIFA and just like
1: say, fuck this. The way to do it is you just pretend to freeze. You just oh, stay very still. Do you do that? Yeah, quite a lot. For
2: comedy purposes. Just go, Sure. I, with your mouth wide open, like you're saying something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: But I'm often doing these quizzes with my wife and it's quite hard to synchronize the fake the fake freeze, you know?
2: Oh, yes, of course. Because that, that would be away. a giveaway if the other person wasn't quite as frozen as you were.
1: It's unusual for half the screen to freeze, but it can
2: happen. Mm. Well, I'll take your word for it again. I've never been on Zoom, so um,
1: you've still never even been on Zoom. No, that you no. are the last man standing. I must be I respect at this point. it enormously. <laughs>
2: I must be so what's what else is going on what else is you know there to to chat about you know given that there's there's no football Um, Mark Govender by the way um, he says I've two five month old golden retriever pups living in lockdown the other night they chewed through the internet fiber cable I've been on hold for two days on and off trying to get through to the ISP I'm sad I just needed to share hashtag cast extra sorry about that mark
1: that is tough that has happened to me actually someone uh a dog wants to chew through an ethernet cable um,
2: <laughs> the dog at my internet it's a yeah. new development and now in the, the world. dog
1: is permanently plugged into google you can ask it anything
2: it's like uh yeah the, your dog is called alexa all of a sudden so yeah <laughs> the dogs here, there they're gonna be called siri and alexa
1: that would be a good development of alexa like i don't have an alexa no if neither do if i it, if it looked and sounded and, you know, moved about like a dog, if it was basically a robot dog, I'd be more interested. Despite the privacy
2: concerns and the the fact that they're probably all in your room listening to every conversation that you have and recording it and uploading the audio to a database somewhere for evidence at some point that might be used against you, despite that,
1: I think so. Yeah, I'd be fooled by the friendly. <laughs> I'd be fooled by the friendly dog disguise. Yeah, for sure. Okay.
2: Okay. Well, fair
1: enough. Um, fair well, enough. Well, I guess you know. Is there news? No. The news is there is no news. Right. Uh, what did you make of
2: What did you make of the project restart? Um, developments yes. that we got last week in terms of the the guidelines that clubs are being given to return to training and things like that. Uh,
1: I, I really have a twofold reaction. So I have to say that my instinctive emotional response is that it feels a little bit, uh, I'm a, a bit uneasy with it. I think, you know, to be talking about football coming back at a time when the death toll is still as significant as it is, mm. even if it might be stabilising or even on a downward trajectory, I I don't personally feel massively comfortable with that. But I also accept, on the other side of the coin, that businesses have to think about how things are going to move forward, mm. how they're going to continue to operate and continue to employ people so you know those conversations have to happen they're happening in every business in every workplace about how and when they can get back on their feet so even though I might sort of initially find it a bit like ooh, a bit sort of mucky it also makes perfect sense.
2: Yeah, there was a good piece I think by Jonathan Wilson in the Guardian at the weekend. Right. Um, you know, r- looking at it from that perspective, in that, yeah, it is. It's it seems wrong to think about football and to think about sport, but there are realities that that go along with the the lockdown because. Um, whether we like it or not football clubs are businesses and businesses need to operate to survive and some of them won't survive and and those are things that we do have to consider and not just when it comes to football of course to to just the wider uh, implications of of reopening and easing restrictions and getting businesses back up and running and getting people back to work so they can earn money and and pay the bills and pay the rents and and all of those kind of things so you know on a visceral level, you look around and you look at what's happening, and you look at the the, the medical aspects of these things, and you think, well, you know, football and those things don't matter, but you can't not or you can't ignore the fact that you know they have to plan, uh, and and clearly from an Arsenal point of view. Uh, that, you know, and not just Arsenal, for every football club, there are real financial implications. I don't know if you heard that uh, Nigel Phillips from the Arsenal Supporters Trust on yeah. the Arscast on Friday. And, you know, that's a pretty bleak picture for a club like Arsenal, which is, by any standards, a rich football club with a lot of cash in the bank uh, relative to most other football clubs in the Premier League, uh, you know, the ones who aren't owned by nation states and oligarchs aside. You know, so if, 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 if it's bleak looking for Arsenal, what is it like for the rest of the clubs? What's it like for clubs in the lower divisions and, and everything else? So I think they do have to talk about how it can come back, uh, but obviously then um, act on the advice of, of medical experts and, and scientists um, about when exactly it might happen. But
1: Yeah, because you know, even if you say, well, I don't think it should be coming back until next season, it's not like that means next season is going to be anything like a normal season, mm. you know, so sooner or later they have to find a way to move forward um, and I think, you know, this will be a big week in the UK uh, because, you know, we're expecting an update later in the week about how and, you know, how and when lockdown might be eased and that will impact loads of businesses including football, but mm. yeah, I... I, I, I I mean, look, they're still looking at, at June and it's almost its almost impossible to say because if I think, well, we've been in lockdown here for about six weeks, that feels like an absolute age ago that mm. we went into it. And we're talking about, about six weeks in the future or something like that. So, so much can change so rapidly that even though it might seem incredibly uh, ambitious at this point, it's difficult to know what the landscape will look like then.
2: Yeah. And then there was uh, talk of... Playing the games uh, behind closed doors, obviously, I think yeah. everybody's accepted that. But at neutral venues, um, yeah. which is a decision that apparently has been made on the advice of of the police, um, yeah. because uh, let's say Arsenal are playing Tottenham, uh, and there's uh, you know there are fans congregating congregating outside the ground even though they can't get in just to mm. sort of experience some some of what football is about you know to to um, mitigate those risks I don't know Arsenal would be playing who knows where whether you know Birmingham playing at Villa Park or whatever it might be you're not going to get local fans hanging around outside the ground you know mm. um which makes sense I suppose but it still raises some some questions doesn't it about the like it would make you think, what's the fucking point? In a way, mm, mm,
1: yeah. I, I mean, one thing that all this discussion has made me realise, and I, I think a lot of people had already realised it, but it's only come home to me when you talk about things like neutral venues and the amount of fixtures that we played in a week, is that the integrity of the twenty nine twenty season is kind of irrevocably broken, mm. isn't it? Like even mm. even if you fulfil those fixtures, it's not the it's not, you know, a normal season by any stretch of the imagination at this point. Mm. And and I think consequently it becomes very difficult to do things like relegate teams. Uh I would be surprised, even if they play out the remaining fixtures, if they relegate anybody from the Premier League. Just because I can see so many legal issues of clubs saying, well, you know, it's essentially not fair. We didn't get our... Yeah, didn't get home our home games, games
2: yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, look, uh, uh, I know that Premier League clubs and Premier League operators and, and everything else have come in for a fair amount of criticism uh, over the last number of days and, you know, the <laughs> idea that the money is driving the decision-making, which... You know, I think it is to a certain extent, but I do have some measure of sympathy simply because nobody ever expected to have to deal with a situation like this and the, mm-hmm. the the ongoing lack of clarity as to, you know, if by some miracle they were able to say, look, it will be safe to play football again in June or July, at least you can sort of plan for that and make some sort of forward plans um about what's going to happen next season, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, But because there's just no way of knowing when anything is going to be normal or safe or, you know, even if football does come back and restrictions are eased, what if there's a second wave of the virus that requires another shutdown or lockdown? It's so difficult to make any definitive plans it, it has to be fluid the whole time. So I do have some sympathy in that regard uh, for the people trying to to, to make decisions because, yeah, how, how do you make anything fair?
1: Yes, I, I think uh, I have sympathy too. I suppose where... Where a bit of conflict comes into that is that, that there does seem to be, if you look at the clubs who oppose playing the remainder of the games for the season, it is it does seem to be those who might be relegated. And the clubs who want to finish the season are the ones who might secure European football. Um, mm. So, you know, people are incentivised in different ways, uh, you know, yeah. mean, if you... I think if you look at someone like Sheffield United, it'd be a disaster for them for this season to be voided, effectively, or Liverpool being the obvious one, right? What would
2: happen with prize money? Um, you know, because of the, uh, you know, the, where you finish in the Premier League, yeah. you get X, you know, X amount of prize money, and then I think there are some issues or... Uh, some of that is tied to the overseas rights in a way, or did it mm-hmm. used to be? Maybe it's equalized now that every team gets the same amount of over overseas rights money. Um, but, you know, that would be an issue as well, wouldn't it? That, you know, you're still talking millions of pounds there when it comes to prize money and potential European football. And, yeah, just another angle.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that's another reason that, I think, you know, the season will be finished, be that by playing the games, by points per game, by whatever means necessary. They will determine standings, I think, for this season. Mm. Um, But I, I, yeah, I I just, it it won't be a season like any other. And, you know, it, it will always have that asterisk against it. And I think the same will be true of next season. Next season will be decidedly unusual decidedly Mm. unusual I mean it makes me think remember when Spurs were building their stadium and people were sort of querying the integrity of well they're playing some of their games at Wembley and some at White Hart and stuff like that it's like yeah (laughs) that's small fry now you know um and 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 yeah I mean uh, uh, just a purely selfish thing here I sort of look at it and go uh, am I going to be at these games? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, are the journalists going to be allowed to attend them? Yeah. Uh, if so, what you know, what does that involve? Are we allowed to do press conferences? Are we allowed to? I can't imagine a mix zone is, you know, a likely. No, thing. So I mean, there's all this, that stuff to consider as well.
2: That's true as well, yeah. Because, you know, press boxes are 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 generally quite tight, aren't they? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You, you know, it's difficult to Extreme. sit two meters
1: away. It's too tight for me. Some of yeah. them. I mean, I've got to tell you, Everton's. I'm too big for that press box. It's a nightmare. And you're, but yeah. So, yeah. how do you? do that? Do you spread people out? And then I think, you know, when crowds start to come back in, well, I imagine that will be gradual rather than the Emirates going from zero to 60,000. I imagine they might stagger it and let, you know, a certain degree of... But
2: how? How could you do that? How can you say only these people are allowed in? Do you do it by mm-hmm. ballot or something? Like, let's say they they decide you you can have... One third capacity in the ground because it spaces people out. A, how do you sort out the spacing? And B, if you've got forty thousand season ticket holders, how do you tell twenty thousand that they can't come in?
1: True. Assuming, like-
2: <laughs> assuming that like anyone is renewing their season tickets.
1: Well, yeah, for games a, a, a few aren't people have happen, made yeah. the joke that in that circumstances <laughs> Arsenal would still announce the attendance as fifty nine thousand. Yeah. <laughs> of course they would. Of course. um yeah, it, it, it is g- sort of grimly fascinating, isn't it, to envisage how it might play out. Mm. And, and and also, we're all talking about the Premier League at this point, but, uh, you know, the divisions below that, I mm. think it's even more desperate. It, you know, the, the television money not being quite what it is at uh, Premier League level, or not even nearly what it is, should we say, uh, those clubs are dependent on the revenue provided by match-going fans, and... Without that, can they function at all? I think, Mm. you know, the Football League and the Premier League are on different timelines here. uh, And much of that is down to to finances. Well, I mean,
2: yeah. I mean, they'd be much more impacted by football being played behind closed doors because so much more of their revenue comes from from tickets and match day revenue and everything else. I don't know. I'm glad I don't have to sort it out. That's all I'm saying. I can just sit here and pick holes in every single uh, theory or, or plan that they come up with rather than have to do anything myself.
1: That's true. And how do you are you sort of uh, potentially looking forward to some football happening? I don't. It does? I
2: I don't know because yeah, look, I want football back, but then what you're getting isn't what you lost. Mm. If you know what I mean. Mm. Um, you're getting the game, but none of the stuff that makes the game really that really interesting and exciting and you know the passion and the crowds and the you know the back and forth and and everything else Um, Uh, like there's something awful about football being played behind closed doors it's why it's sort of one of the one of the punishments that's very rarely in fairness dished out to clubs because it's so uh, anathema to what football is supposed to be about that they so rarely do it. Like, you know, uh, club and their fans are being a bit racist. So rather than impose the kind of punishment on them, which would make fans uh, reconsider their behavior, which is lock them out of the ground and don't let them in because they have been racist or whatever it might be, the club gets like a 20,000 euro fine. Um, You know, the games authorities have been... Uh, extremely reluctant, despite the fact that it it would have been merited in many, many more cases. They've been extremely reluctant to impose that kind of sanction on football clubs because it just goes against... So much of what football is about and what makes football great as a, as a spectacle for those inside the ground and, and obviously those watching on television as well. And now mm-hmm. we're being asked to say or to, to consider the idea that football coming back in this, guys, is somehow a really positive development. OK, it's good. We'll have football back. But as a as a as a spectacle, as a piece of entertainment, it's lacking something fundamental. So I don't quite know what to feel about it, you know.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, I don't know if I've mentioned it on here. Have I talked about my theory that a sort of small online cottage industry will, will strike up uh, where people will take the goals that are scored behind closed doors and sort of apply yeah. audio and visual treatment to them to make them look like they were scored in front of crowds. crowd?
2: See, I wonder if it wouldn't surprise me if the broadcasters
1: do it themselves do
2: it themselves like they have a yeah. sound guy and you've got some you've got some you know generic crowd noise and then there are various faders for like you know chance being missed ooh or you know a you know a guy goes in with a late tackle <gasps> that kind of stuff and i reckon if they broadcast the games live but with let's say a 10 or 15 second delay you know before they go out on air so they can mix in the sound in so-called real time, mm. you know, that we I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if that was part of the deal.
1: And what about CG fans? Do you think that's too far? Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: it is. Plus, they'd have to make all the seats green in every stadium for it to work anyway, you know, for green screen. That's true. Um, which might work <laughs> if you're Plymouth Argyle, but uh, I don't know who else plays in green. If you're Ireland, if they played every game in the Aviva Stadium, the old Lansdowne Road... Um, it might just
1: work. So you might just have the, the surreal spectacle of, uh, you know, the sound of fans going crazy, mm. as Aubameyang puts it in the net. But what you can actually see in the stand is me sat 10 seats away from James Bench. That's, exa-
2: <laughs> <laughs> right. That's exactly okay. what it is, yeah. Was it um, Borussia Mönchengladbach? Yeah. Um, yeah, who've got cardboard cutouts? So you send in a picture of yourself, and they like uh, print out your face and put it on a cardboard cutout and put it in the stands. Maybe
1: that's maybe that's it's mean, it. quite funny. I mean, there was it's the a revenue mur- stream, potentially. There was,
2: yeah, there was the mural at, at Highbury, of course, when the the North Bank was being redeveloped. So maybe maybe that. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they could get like the like big cloth drapes that sort of stretch out over all the seats because you'd only need to do it maybe on, what, 60% of the ground because the cameras are on one side. Oh, of course, there would be replays from the other angles, so you'd have to do it the whole way around.
1: That's the thing. I mean, I imagine that... uh I mean, I was going to say, you know, that you could use that space to put up a message, you know, thanking the NHS or something like that. But then I thought, these are, this is football clubs we're talking about here, they might see that as an opportunity to sell effectively advertising space. Um, I yes. I don't know how that would be received. I, I don't know. <laughs>
2: buy your buy your Arsenal branded um, face masks and stuff sure, like that. Yeah,
1: yeah from the armoury. Mm. Uh, that's maybe too cynical of me to to think. But... Yeah, it's it's gonna be weird. I mean, one thing that could be interesting is, I mean, I say it'll be interesting. I think it'll be interesting for about thirty seconds is hearing what players say and shout at each other. See,
2: that's why I think they'll put noise in,
1: so we don't. Right, right. We don't yeah, because, because the old hand over the mouth trick's not going to fly anymore.
2: Yeah, and there's going to be, you know, look as somebody with hands-on experience of football, of course, you'd broadcasters have to everything. Yeah. They get very, very anxious about swear words going out live on television. Mm. As this is the, why
1: you're not on TV more. Yeah,
2: this is why the, the NBC guys um, turned around to us and, and offered us some sweets to, to, to stop. He did. He offered us sweets. He said, I thought if you had your mouth full, you wouldn't swear. I was like, fuck's sake, man. But, you know, we, we modified our language anyway. But, you know. If they're that worried because they can hear the odd fan in the background throwing in the odd F or whatever it might be, um, with players shouting and screaming at their teammates and each other and managers on the sidelines who are, it's fair to say, um, renowned for their industrial language, even though we can't hear it, that is going to be an issue for broadcasters because they don't want that going out on air, particularly if a game is going out half 12 on a Saturday afternoon or four o'clock. This is not post-Watershed stuff. So that's why I think there will be some kind of accompanying soundtrack so we don't hear that.
1: Mm. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Because otherwise, they'll just have to cut the audio so much that mm. it will just be silent for long periods. Yeah, So they'll have to bed it with something. And look, Sky are not averse to doing this they've done it plenty of times when people have chanted against sky <laughs> during matches yeah. uh, and played in sort of you know random crowd sounds to cover it um so yeah i think that's very 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 like mm. i don't know maybe we'll have a better atmosphere than we usually do <laughs> yeah,
2: who knows <laughs> who knows maybe there could be some like a uh, you know some kind of uh uh Britain's got talent type um program made for fans of their own football clubs to submit chants and and everything else or form choirs who knows
1: Sure celebrity chances you know
2: yeah oh God um, oh God Speaking of singing actually I saw this question on the um, oh, yeah. on the Facebook and it comes from Richard Scott. And he says, are you tired of the cringeworthy charity songs despite the good cause? What's the worst uh, you've heard and the worst football team cover song?
1: Right. Well, I haven't heard it, but is, is, a, is her name Amanda Holden? Amanda Holden, the actress and presenter of uh, Britain's Got Talent. Right. I'm sure I read that she had released a charity record. Hang on. Have I got this right? I don't know. You tell me. Yes, she has released her debut single, a cover of Over the Rainbow, to raise money for the NHS.
2: Oh, my God. Um, I was going to do a tweet at the weekend, actually, and I was was (laughs) going to... I actually had the WhatsApp thing written out, and then I was like, oh, no, I won't." But I was going to say, like, "Can you just take a quick picture of yourself pretending to sing into a microphone?" And I was going to pretend to sing into my microphone here, and then I was going to do like we've come together to do an Arsenal podcaster version of Imagine, you know, to raise awareness and to lift the spirits of 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 the people that who are. That would have been very funny. It would have been, but then I just kind of I had to go out somewhere, and then I forgot to do it, so.
1: We get me, you, the guys from uh, Arsenal Vision, Yeah.
2: Elliot. Obviously. Elliot would have been fucking well on that. He would have done it. All we'd have to do, he'd say, this is not a joke. I'll do it. I'm
1: surprised it. he hasn't done it, actually. <laughs> hey, shout out to the Arsenal Vision guys who've raised a load of money, actually. Yeah, for the Arsenal for the Arsene Foundation. Arsene
2: Foundation. Well done, chaps. That was brilliant. Uh, £10,000, I believe, for Incredible. the Arsenal Foundation. So congratulations to those guys and well done to everybody for their generosity in supporting the cause.
1: But Amanda Holden, yeah, I mean, apparently it entered the charts at number four. So look, I I can't object to the good cause, you know, and the money raised, but I I can't imagine buying a record by Amanda Holden.
2: No, neither can I, neither can I. What about football songs in general? I was reminded um, when he asked that question of what I think is one of the most egregious moments Go on. In both football and pop music history. Mm. And it is the Anfield Rap. Oh. Now, I know yeah. there's a great website called the Anfield Rap, and hello to those guys who are, uh, you know, doing all their Liverpool stuff.
1: They've reclaimed the term.
2: They have, but they've put a W in front of it and sort of made it respectable again. But the reason this always got on my tits was the very first line. And uh, I'm going to play it for you here and see if you can figure out which bit of this makes me want to give uh, John Barnes a wedgie. All right? All right. H- here we go.
3: Liverpool FC is hot as hell. United, Tottenham, Arsenal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Arsenal.
3: Liverpool FC is hot
2: as hell. United, Tottenham, Arsenal. 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 What the fuck is Arsenal?
1: I don't know. Come on, man. Uh, yeah, that's they've really worked hard to make that rhyme I know, like out. I
2: know sometimes you've got to, but that's that's not that's not good enough. Liverpool FC on as out.
1: Oh. oh god, man. Yeah, that's I bad. mean, someone actually messaged me on Twitter uh, in the week. I'll give them a shout. Their name is Northbank at Deb 90 and said, remember this? Mention it on the podcast tomorrow. And it was a YouTube link to uh, the Arsenal version of Hot Stuff. Oh, yeah, from yeah. 1998. Yeah. Do you remember mm, that? I do. Christopher and Nicholas showing them how. Uh, one of the lyrics referenced. Wasn't,
2: um, was it, um, in the podcast I recently did with Amy, mm. didn't she say that she was on the backing vocals for that? I think or that s- might be was right. It that, was know. that the song that she was doing the, the backing vocals for? I can't it remember. would
1: surprise me. She's got fingers and a lot of pies. Right. Uh, I, I'm just looking up the lyrics now because there are some great ones in that. I seem to remember Lewis Burmorte gets mentioned. <laughs> <laughs> <Lewis> <laughs> like Boamorte. It's one of those things where, like, you know, they try to mention everyone, but it results in like some slightly j- dubious uh, lyrics. Yeah. Does anyone have a document of all the lyrics? I don't know what uh, what other football songs. I mean, what was the Spurs Aussie's on his way to Wembley? Yeah, Remember exactly. That? Anything
2: anything involving uh, Chaz and Dave can get in the fucking sea, of course, because it's you know Tottenham. Um, you know, I think we we have to give a mention to Paul Gascoigne as well. Fog on the Tyne. yeah, which it's was all truly his. It's all his. It's truly truly appalling. But then I I was I found a um, an article. I think it's on Bleacher Report. Um, And apparently Morton Gamst Pedersen did a song. Yeah. Um, Ryan Babel did a freestyle rap. Not the only one to do that. You were talking, was it
1: Quincy? Quincy Awusubey, a.k.a. Blow. 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 Um, Uh, There are more. Clint Dempsey was a rapper.
2: Yeah, Basil Bowley and Chris Waddle did a song.
1: Of course. Hoddle and Waddle. Well, there was Hoddle and Waddle, but Basil Bowley Darling, and Chris
4: Waddle. I love you. <laughs> Darling, I love
2: you. I <laughs> Unbearable. Now, this one, this one really surprised me. Go on. Vinnie Jones teamed up with Jules Holland to do a version of Big Bad Leroy Brown. Wow. What the fuck? Too many people were on too much cocaine back then.
1: Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, speaking of blow, I think that might well be the case. Uh, there are some absolutely. Annie Cole had a song, Do you remember, that was quite bad. Um, oh, it was. I forget what it was called. It was, it was cal- terrible, though.
2: It was called Outstanding.
1: Yes, it was. And it was not great. It was, it was not, not good great. at all. Uh,. I'm just looking through an album of football songs and there are things on there that I didn't know. Rude Hullet, Not the Dancing Kind. John Justin Fashionu, Do It Because You Like It. Right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. Interesting one. It is a uh, it's a murky world. It's a murky, murky world. And I have to say, I'm a little bit sad it's over because I, th- I think there's something definitely very funny about it. Um, we haven't had one for a while, have we? Like, there hasn't been I, a... I think... Memphis Depay is the closest. He's done a couple of... Have you ever seen his Memphis Depay sort of Instagram raps that he does? No. I think they'd make you want to tear off your own skin if you did. Right, okay. Um,
2: Well, that's that's pretty much made my mind up there.
1: (laughs) But yeah, I mean, Arsenal had... Uh, hot stuff I'm trying to think if we had something in 2002 I I think that was the last one
2: Uh, alright well look having exhausted the world of football and football songs it seems like a good place to leave part one so we'll do that and we'll come back in part two with your questions plus James some magpie content Oh,
1: I'm so excited right after this
2: Welcome back to the ArsCast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer the questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnarblog and at ArseBlog. Also on the ArseBlog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the ArseBlog, from which we've already taken a question. Those of you on Facebook who take umbrage at the fact that we often forget yeah. to take questions from Facebook.
1: Your, uh, your next question will be in 10 seasons time.
2: <laughs> whenever that is. And uh, also on the Arsblog Discord server, which you get access to if you are an ArseBlog member on on Patreon, I'm going to start, James, with the Magpie content because uh, I think we need, to, we need to do this. Then we'll get into some questions. Sure. Um, so you remember a few, oh gosh, I don't know how long ago now, but we discovered this thing called Cameo.
1: I'm well aware of Cameo, yes.
2: On which Uh, celebrities peddle their wares and you basically send them a message and they send you a video back and it's like, oh, dear uh, Snoop Dogg, you're the greatest. Will you say hi to my grandparents? They love you. And Snoop Dogg will do a message to your grandparents or whatever it might be. mm, So we had one um, uh, involving Gilbert Gottfried, the comedian, um, the voice of what was he in Aladdin? Aladdin. He was in Aladdin.
1: He was Iago yeah. Parrot? Yes.
2: And he's a comedian. He's got his own podcast, the uh, Amazing Colossal Gilbert Godfrey Podcast, whatever it was. And he gave us a message, and it was quite weird and bizarre, but very funny. Yes. So I thought it might be interesting to go back because people were saying, "Can you can you get us like some, can you get us some uh, magpie facts, magpie related content, etc., etc." And I was thinking, "Okay, yeah, maybe I could, uh, maybe I could get Gilbert Gottfried to give us some magpie facts." So I sent him okay. a message via Cameo. <laughs> And I said, uh, hello, Gilbert Gottfried. Uh, My buddy James is having a hard time during the COVID-19 lockdown. Aren't we all? His best friend is a magpie called Maggie who lives in a field nearby. He really misses her. Could you give him two or three magpie facts? You can just invent them, if you like, to make him feel better. And I was thinking... This will be funny because Gilbert Gottfried will give us some magpie facts, yeah, and he's going to invent some crazy magpie some facts. Crazy magpie facts, yeah. Didn't didn't quite go that way. <laughs> <laughs> didn't quite go that way. This is this is what happened. Okay, you ready? Yeah.
3: Hi, this is Gilbert Godfrey. This is for James McNichols, and it's being sent by Andrew. Well, James, uh, you're having a hard time during COVID-19 lockdown, and your best friend is a magpie, <laughs> a magpie who lives in a field nearby, and you really miss her. Uh, you you want to know something, James? Don't don't feel bad. Bad about having a best friend who's a magpie. Uh, there are other people who are best friends with magpies, and sometimes they talk to them. Uh, they're known as serial killers. <laughs> uh, and kind of like you. Uh, one, one, day, one day, James, they're going to arrest you, and the prison psychiatrist will talk to you, and you'll be saying... It's a magpie, but no one else can see him. Only me. He gives me orders. He wants me to kill. <laughs> uh, so, uh, uh, James, I I really, really think it's time for help. Okay, I uh, you know just take it from me.
1: Wow uh, <laughs> I mean Thank goodness I'm not actually You know Sad and bereft About friend, my friend Maggie the magpie Thankfully uh, That wow, wouldn't that have Made
2: you 16. feel any better Would it
1: No It wouldn't have helped In that circumstance But as things are I really enjoyed it um, He wants me to kill
3: <laughs> <laughs> They're called Serial killers <laughs> He gives uh, me orders <laughs> wow
1: Brilliant That is brilliant Yeah I mean I, I was happy with it In the end Despite the he, Go on Is he getting rich Out of doing these Do we think uh, I
2: don't know It depends how many he gets
1: Right Yeah
2: um, I mean it did cost me money But you know For the sure. entertainment purposes I think it was worth it um, Absolutely You know I'm a little bit sorry We didn't get Gilbert Godfrey To give us a magpie fact uh, an invented one. I, I think he could have been quite creative about it, but in the circumstances, uh, I, I feel like you know he, he gave he gave us gave us good stuff for the podcast.
1: Listen, you know he heard what you said about my obsession with magpies and mm. decided that they are the ravings of a serial killer. And it's very difficult to disagree with his objective analysis there.
2: Yeah, and to be fair, there was some good advice at the end. Get some help. If this is yeah. real, get some help. I think there's a conscientiousness involved in that, which, Absolutely. which maybe you wouldn't have expected. Social we conscience. Should
1: have shared this. Mental health week's coming up later in the month. We've gone early with right. this, if anything. Yeah. Thank you very much, Andrew. I'm very touched by your gesture and Gilbert's words.
2: Well, there you go. I'm glad it. I'm glad it touched you in the right special
1: area. <laughs> Absolutely extraordinary. Um, speaking of speaking to. Celebrities mm. can I ask a question that's come from Asbjorn Carlsbeck. Sure. I had a real go at that, Asbjorn. I hope that's right. Um, he's at Godbear ninety eight on Twitter. And the question says How is it as Arsenal fans to regularly speak with slash interview so many Arsenal legends in the pods you take part in? Ian Wright, Cesar Fabregas, Lee, Dixon, etc. And who has been your favourite or least favourite to talk to?
2: Who has been my, you know, I don't think anyone's been my least favourite. That's a
1: difficult one to answer, isn't it? It
2: is a difficult one because, you know, if you ever want to speak to that person again, (laughs) you you can't really say, well, they were terrible. And to be fair, you know, nobody has been uh, terrible. I haven't had a bad experience. You know, I I can remember one of the, I suppose one of the early ones, the early podcast stuff might have been Lee Dixon or it might have been Perry Groves, mm. I think I can't quite remember, but I remember being like, "Oh, I'm going to talk to an Arsenal player here." I'm being very yeah. nervous about it, um, and I still get nervous. You know, I get nervous about, um, you know, what I'm not not necessarily what I'm going to say, but I want, you know, particularly when it comes to, let's say, the 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 Cesc interview, I really want it to be good for everyone who's listening. So you kind of, it's not so much the pressure of talking to the person, but, but making sure that in the conversation that you have, you ask questions that get good answers. You know what I mean? So you want, you want the thing to be good for everyone. Um,
1: Do you do, do you do a lot of prep, say for the Cess thing? Like, did you know what you were going to ask going in?
2: I had sort of bullet points. I, you know. I looked some stuff up and I I had some bullet points and and certainly areas that I wanted to cover, but I don't ever write out a list of questions because I feel like if you do that, it can become like what you want to have is a conversation right so yeah. you don't want to have questions 1 to 20 and you ask question 1 and he gives you an answer which might lead you to question going 17. off on a ca- yeah going yeah. off on a tangent somewhere which is interesting yeah. you don't just want to say okay thank you and then ask question number 2 so you've got to sort of let the conversation flow because i think that makes it more interesting for for everybody um you know it's it's yeah, I, I don't... Yeah. What was the original question? Who's the best and the worst?
1: Favourite, yeah. Yeah,
2: I mean, everybody's been great. I mean, I think i managed to get some good interviews with, with people and obviously would like to get some more. Um, Philippe Senderos was a, a good one as well. I thought that was a, a really good interview. Mm. Um, every time Ian Wright is on, it's always great because um, there's, you know, there's one where you don't have to do a huge amount of preparation because he'll just talk the hind legs off me, which is fantastic. But, you know, it's always brilliant to have him on. I tell you the one, not that it was the worst or anything like it, but I remember interviewing Martin Keown and I think it's fair to say that, you know, the the podcast you know, we try and be serious but, uh, you know, at the at the heart of it, th- we don't take everything a bit too seriously, but Martin yeah. was, is quite a serious guy. Like, I remember <laughs> yeah, yeah. we were talking yes. about, I can't remember, I think it was around the time of an FA Cup semi final or, or something like that. And I remember just sort of dropping in the odd line or two, which y- you hope will lighten the mood. And I'm not necessarily sure. they landed the way I, w- <laughs> I would have hoped. I think, but he yeah, was, you know, yeah. he was spot on with what he said, but, but yeah, quite serious
1: he is a very very serious man and he's very intense you know as and we saw that on the pitch but yeah he's very very serious and uh, <laughs> go on
2: i was just thinking of the yeah the the time when this season when he was um when he was he late for a game on bt sport one of our europa league games and the guy presenting uh, had a little bit of a joke at him and said, oh, well, you're here at last, Martin. And he said something like, well, somebody jumped in front of a train. It wasn't my fault.
1: And the guy was like. <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. <gasps> <laughs> well, there are all these great stories that come out of old Arsenal training sessions where, you know, when they used to play a one-touch game, mm. all the rest of the squad used to try and make Martin lose because he was so hated losing and took everything yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so seriously. Um, in terms of the best, it's really hard to say, but. I have to say that um, we on Handbrake off last week. We had Bob Wilson on, yeah. and he was talking about the uh, 1970. Is it the FA Cup? Final? Yeah, FA Cup final, which sort of predated the UEFA Cup and now Europa League. But hearing the way he speaks about Arsenal and Highbury and how evocative his memories are, mm. you know, it it really. It made me connect with the club in sort of a different way. It's sort of, you know, the, the tradition and the history and what Arsenal means beyond, you know, the results and beyond, you know, the, the media and the stuff that we're sort of dealing with day to day. I thought he really spoke to that in a great way. And he's such a brilliant storyteller anyway, mm. Uh that, that one really sort of stood out to me as a recent one that I thought he was he was brilliant, yeah. Mm. And, it's, and how does it feel, speaking to these people, like Andrew says, always slightly nerve-wracking, uh, <laughs> always slightly nerve-wracking picking up the phone to someone who you watch play football and uh, always exciting too. Yeah, positive, you, know? y-
2: you don't want to say anything stupid that makes them go, oh, that fucking Jesus, what the fuck? Absolutely. Why have I given my time to, to this person, what
1: have you? But, you know... <laughs> Um, I've I've got to say as well actually just uh, someone else who I think has been really interesting I've I've actually interviewed them a couple of times Uh, and someone who I think we gave a bit of a hard time in their tenure at Arsenal is Dick Law uh, who used to do Arsenal's transfer negotiating
2: (laughs) yes the
1: man himself but I I I have to say an incredibly nice intelligent uh, guy and uh, you know of course that may that doesn't necessarily mean that... He Tells his own right. side of
2: the story very well. Is that what you're he saying? Does tell
1: us, he tells his own side <laughs> of the story very well, but uh, a, very, a very, very nice person. Like, I, 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 I believe that
2: because I... Some years ago, actually, it could have been the game that we played against Leicester where Welbeck scored the goal. And before the game, yeah. I was lucky enough to get a bit of a, a tour of the dressing room on match day and stuff like that from, from somebody... Um, and Dick Law was in there and just sort of came over and introduced them himself said, hello, I'm Dick. And was, he was very nice. And I was a bit like, oh, hi. <laughs> <Hello."> <laughs> I'm not going to tell you who I am, but... Um, no, no, no. Yeah, no. yeah, yeah.
1: But, you know, I guess, you know, being nice isn't always the right quality in, in business. Or, yeah, maybe no. not.
2: Maybe not. But, you know, I'm sure...
1: But it does go a long way. And yeah. I think, you know we know what we know about Arsene Wenger if he's going to have someone around for nine years uh, they've got to at least be a decent enough person you'd suspect
2: Mm. okay is it my question Um, it is okay um From the Discord, Scott Rogers Wolfson says, I've been watching back old games, the 98 FA Cup final, the 5-1 at the San Siro, Arsene's first game, a 2-0 win versus Blackburn Rovers. What past games would you say are worth a rewatch, particularly games that exemplify the qualities of some of the great players that we've had?
1: Give me his list of
2: what he watched again. sorry. The 1998 FA Cup final, which was 2-0 against Newcastle, um, Overmars and Nelke. The Mm. 5-1 at the San Siro, where Thierry Henry... That's a great one. Oh my God, that goal. I love that goal so much. Mm -hmm. Um, Arsene's first game, a 2-0 win against
1: Blackburn Rovers. um, Yes. I don't remember at all. Two goals, I believe. Well, remembered. Um... Well, I tell you what, Tim Stillman, shout out to Tim Stillman, has been doing re-watching season reviews on his oh, Twitter yeah. timeline. Yeah. And that's brought a few games to my attention. I don't know if you could track this game down, but when Arsenal played Sheffield Wednesday at home in 1996-97, Patrick Vieira came on for his debut. I think he came on in the first half for an in- after an injury. And that is... Uh, I think Ian Wright scored a hat-trick in the game. I, I, I'd be surprised if you can get the footage, but it was on television. It was on Sky. And the way that Vieira, as soon as he steps onto the field, just completely looked a class act mm. and almost a transformative player, like an, a new idea of what a central midfielder could be, as a kind of showcase of that, yeah. I'd have to have that on the list. Um Trying to think of others, really. Are there any that jump out very immediately?
2: Yeah, I mean, one which we said we were going to do, actually, which we might do and do like a a podcast slash commentary on it was the the game uh, in two thousand and two uh, at Old Trafford when we went there and we yeah. won the league. So I think we will do that um, and rewatch that game because I'm I remember my my gut feeling. Um, is that it was a really, really physical game. It was, It was yeah. a hugely physical game. And I don't think we had, we'd no Thierry Henry that night.
1: I think maybe no Patrick Vieira. Uh, I seem to remember it might have been Ray Parler in Oh, Eto.
2: I think Vieira, did he play that? I. I oh, really? I think maybe. so. Because I have a sort of recollection of, an early coming together between himself and Roy Keane, and it sort of set the tone for United's aggression, but our ability to—he did
1: play. You're right. You're to right, cope with that, play. yes. So um, he did play with Edu, Yeah, it was. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was a really physical game. I think uh, I'm right in saying today is the anniversary of it's only Ray Parler, to, uh, Ray Parler's kind of destroying Tim Lovejoy. Oh and, yeah. And um, that was the same week as that Old Trafford game. And I think Ray Parlour was man of the match at Old Trafford. Like he, it was a very industrial game and he was kind of central to that. Yeah. Um, that game also featuring the confusing celebration where I thought Kanu jumped over a standing Sylvan Wilson. Yeah, everybody thought that he was <laughs> actually kneeling down. Um, uh, yeah, that was a good. One. I mean, if you've not seen Arsenal four Liverpool two from the Invincibles campaign, that's an incredible match, I think, mm. and performance, particularly from Thierry Henry. Um,
2: yeah, I'm just trying to think of games which don't uh, aren't surrounded in sort of disappointment, if you like. Um, do you know what I mean that yeah, that they come yeah. from seasons which are a bit heartbreaking?
4: I mean, yeah.
2: Well, you I look mean, at the so, team and you go, "Oh, well, wow, we should have, we should have fucking done more of that season," etc.
1: Yeah, I mean, two thousand six a tricky one in that respect, you know, because obviously we got to the Champions League final and no one ever wants to watch that game ever again. But along the way, you know, winning in Madrid for example yeah the Real Madrid game I definitely watched that In again fact, both Real Madrid games actually like the nil-nil the at home was one of the most pulsating nil-nils you'll ever see remember that um, layman
2: save from Raul I do unbelievable
1: yeah. at a time when Raul was sort of the golden boy really of Spanish football didn't miss a chance you know yeah. as far as we could see it um yeah, so that, that, that would be a great one. I think, as well, another interesting game from that campaign would be the Juventus match, uh, mm. the home game, Vieira's return to Highbury, and Fabregas uh, scoring one and setting up another. Like, that was a seminal night. In some <laughs> the
2: ways. one where Robert Pires, slide tackle, Patrick Vieira took the ball. Yeah, from it. yeah I mean, yeah some some big games there and i think obviously if you're going to look at things for entertainment purposes you know the 52s um
1: against yeah. Tottenham if you don't remember those ones they're definitely worth checking out yeah, the yeah, yeah. 2014 FA Cup final if you're more recent to it um don't watch the 2005 FA Cup final we were <laughs> we were so bad god here.
4: unbelievable
2: That's such a bad game <laughs> watch jammiest. watch the penalty shootout we took we took good penalties we did, yeah. To
1: be fair. Um, yeah, I think they would be the ones... I mean, it'd be interesting to go back and watch 98 winning at Old Trafford, Mark Overmars' goal. That was such a huge game. Oh, you know, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Who uh, was playing right back for United that day? Some...
1: Spencer? Was that his name? Was it, uh, Or... I, I know what you mean, John... The- uh, John Curtis, or someone like that. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Maybe that was his name. Overmars yeah. destroyed him.
1: Yeah. Maybe because it was John Curtis.
2: It was John Curtis. He was taken off after 52
1: minutes. There you go. Um, for
2: Ben Thornley. So wow. I don't know.
1: Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, there are so many that are great I mean if you don't remember the Invincibles I always think the 5-3 win over Middlesbrough is oh yeah that's a brilliant
2: game brilliant game because it has everything it has everything Mm. you know amazing football the Highbury screamer when the Frank Cadrew goal goes in absolutely all you hear in the back
1: (laughs) amazing brilliant goal from Jose Reyes and obviously a poignancy about that Mm yeah uh, yeah some good, good ones
2: one. some good good ones there if you can track them down um and uh, yeah we'll do that we'll do the the o2 game at old Trafford and we'll maybe you know we'll press play at the same time and just watch and commentate and, and um, I'd be I'd be interested to see what kind of observations we make based on the game the way we play and based on what United you know because at that time it was two two behemoths two really really good teams um, uh, yeah
1: and without wishing to prejudge it I think we will we will be really struck by how much more physical we are then than we mm. are now in some ways okay um but we shall see. We, we shall, shall see. see. Uh, question from Twitter. poorly Boy at P Fortunato 1985. Um, since I can remember, Arsenal have had only three Italian players in the last 20 years. Two goalkeepers and one forward, Looperly, who I think only made around nine appearances. Mm. With all the great Italian players, especially during Wenger's reign, why do you think we never went for any?
2: That's a really good question. Um... There were four that I can remember anyway because there was a young central defender called Nicolo Galli. Um, oh, yes, very who, true. And then
1: the keepers are uh, Viviano. Emiliano right. and Minone. And Minone.
2: Yeah, yeah, and Lupoli. Uh, unfortunately, Niccolò Galli died in, I can't remember what year it was, but he was only 16, 17 maybe. Uh, in an accident back home on a a scooter a moped of some kind Terrible Which is quite tragic but big things were really expected of him but I I don't suppose he would have been what you would consider a typical signing because he was with the club from a very young age so he would have been one of those you know that grew up um, in the academy sort of taking like a Chesney route to the first team Mm -hmm. if you like Um, Why didn't we bring in Italian? That's a good question there haven't really, of all the nationalities, there haven't been that many. Like, it feels to me like Italy was slightly underrepresented in Premier League terms in general. Well, like, I know there were some some good players who came, some of them towards the end of their careers, if you like. If you think of Viali and you think of... Um, who oh do you know who signed for Chelsea and I always really liked him as a player and he got injured very early on was
1: Kazaragi. Yes, he had a terrible injury. I mean I was yeah. going to say Chelsea had a real culture of Italian players. Well, they did
2: have yeah. like Italian uh you know Hollett was manager who had played so long in <coughs> Serie A. Absolutely.
1: And Viali arrived and yeah. he was also the manager there and Zola. they had yeah, they had Zola, they had Casiraghi, they had Di Matteo, they had they had a centre half from Milan too, a really top centre half who came over I, again towards the end of his career. Um, Sheffield Wednesday, of course, had Carbone and Di Canio. Yeah, you know, that was, but they were kind of relatively unique in that period. You're right; there was a novelty about people coming from Italy. I think.
2: Well, Di Canio came via Celtic. Celtic didn't yeah, they? Yeah.
1: Um, I think that There are a couple of things I think Serie A was pretty strong In that period So maybe There was kind of Less of a temptation I mean if you There was the sort of That was quite a golden period I think for Italian Mm. Top flight football Um But, yeah, it was almost like a cultural thing where they would appear at certain clubs. And it's funny, like Chelsea, if you you go to Chelsea, the Italian restaurants are kind of still there where, you know, they all went out for dinner. And in the way that Arsenal had that French clique yeah that Chelsea had that for Italy and I think we just went in that direction maybe and that's where Wenger's contacts were
2: yeah I mean but isn't it curious when you think about it that three of our greatest ever players came to Arsenal they weren't Italian but they came to Arsenal via Italy um Dennis Bergkamp from uh, Inter Milan Patrick Vieira from AC Milan and Thierry Henry from Juventus
1: Mm-hmm. And we also signed in the 90s, David Platt for some, from Sampdoria. Yeah, uh, less said
2: about that, the better.
1: Less said about that, but I'm <laughs> sure there are, I mean, we were definitely scouting Italy. It's not the case that we weren't. I recently spoke to... Declaw, Uh Damien <laughs> Camoli, actually. Oh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. Another yeah. name yeah. Um, at it. And he was talking about watching Thierry Henry at Juventus uh, in 1990. 1990- seven through to 99 when he started and um so you know it's not like we weren't bothering with it yeah uh yeah it just didn't it it just didn't really ever take off i'm trying to think if there were italians that we were linked with and missed out on um i think i seem to remember we were linked with svomni boban quite a bit from italy really Um, obviously he's not italian yeah um But I'm just trying to think of any more. I mean, in the last few years, there've always been sort of like crazy stories about, you know, what's the centre-back at uh, Napoli, Koulibaly, or the striker at Torino with the £100 million buyout clause or something like that. Yeah. But I've, I've always taken them with a bit of a pinch of salt because... It's just not a historic shopping ground.
2: Yeah, us, yeah, really. true. I don't know why, but, you know, maybe it'll change. Who knows? But uh, we're not spending hundreds of millions uh, millions of pounds on anyone, uh, as and when football goes, because we've got to, uh, you know, spend our money well, on sound effects.
1: I guess. Uh, am I right in saying that Gabriel Martinelli could yet choose to play for Italy? He could, even
2: though I think he is going to play for Brazil, isn't he? I think um, so. He has sort of. He was called up for He's a squad. Yeah, but there was a squad that was supposed to take place this summer, wasn't there? Um, some tournament that he was called up for. Um, it's the Olympics, I think. Oh. would have been. Right, well, there you go. Um, well, that's not happening. Um... Yeah. Speaking of Martinelli, uh, Kean O'Sullivan, who's at Kean O'Sullivan Twenty One, says, "Morning, gents. I felt our young players were having quite an impact on our season before it was cut. Do you have a standout moment for each one? Can be good or bad." Yeah, I saw this question. Good question. So, who? Um, let's let's just uh, get the names. Of find the, young the players. list. Saka,
1: Martinelli, Martinelli, uh, um, Willock. Yes. Uh, Nketia. Nketia. Um Maitland Niles. Does he count?
2: Does Maitland Niles really count? Is I'm going to say he doesn't. I think that's probably fair, to be honest. Uh, Reese Nelson. Is Ginduzi a young player? Do we count Ginduzi? I mean, Let's count he is him young. on
1: age profile, yeah. Although I think, you know, we're. He's further along, maybe in his development, some of these, but let's mm. say him. And I think, should we leave out Emil Smith-Rowe? I mean, it just feels like he's... Yeah, he wasn't around enough, not I don't really think. figured enough. So I, I tell you the first moment that springs out to me, actually, is that uh, Joe Willock's goal at Anfield. Yes,
2: that was my moment for Joe Willock, actually, because it was a fucking great goal.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the one that jumps out. I mean, Martinelli, I think, has an obvious one.
2: You think the Chelsea? I do, yeah. I don't. I mean, there's a great goal, but I think the first header he scored where he sort of came to the near post and powered a header into yeah, the yeah. far
1: corner. His first first goal for the club? No. Oh, is it not?
2: No, I think the first one was... Was that not a... I think it was a Callum Chambers cross or something or an I can't remember, but he bulleted a header in. But I I think this might have been the next game where it was a a, a, could have been a Tierney cross.
1: Ah, different header. Okay, yeah, different header. But it
2: was just something about that header that made me go, "Okay, there's something. This guy's the you know this kid is really really something because of the way he scored that goal." Um, so that would be the moment for me with Martinelli. Although the okay. Chelsea one obviously will uh, live a bit longer in the memory, just in terms of the impact or my belief in his talent, um, I think that was a, a big one.
1: What about uh, what about Reese Nelson? I mean, funnily enough, the one that immediately I think of with him is the moment that wasn't. He had a goal. Uh, in the home game against Burnley. Uh, Just before half-time, yeah. Yeah, disallowed for an offside in the build-up. And I think he came off at half-time. And, it, you know, it's it sort of one of those that I, it, it kind of took his season in a slightly different direction. It, mm. t- it was, wasn't really until Mikel Arteta came in that things picked up for him. Yeah, um, he did have an injury, didn't he? But Yeah, he did. Well, have you got a more positive one for
2: Um me? I think maybe the... the 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 game where he, was it the FA Cup game the Leeds
1: game he scored
2: uh, was it yeah I and mean, maybe the next one where he played and you got a couple of assists maybe or
1: ah that was down at i know it was lower uh, league wasn't it portsmouth that was
2: was that when Torreira yeah. got injured
1: yeah correct yeah yeah
2: yeah so that one for me and i suppose as well just maybe the idea that Mikel arteta used him a little bit on the right hand side ahead of more expensive options if you like um, mm. just because he provided that kind of, um, what you call it, that kind of structure uh, to the front three or front five or whatever you want to call it was just interesting. Sure. That was an interesting thing. What about Saka, all of it? I mean, all of it. I mean, I liked, I didn't like the bit where he didn't sign his contract, his new contract. Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I wasn't a fan of that bit, but, you know, hopefully, hopefully they can make that happen.
1: I think with Saka, there are so many moments, but I can't help but think back to Frankfurt. Was it Frankfurt? He played in the front three and he scored his Mm. first Arsenal goal from about 25, 30 yards. And it was a great strike. And it was just one of those moments from a player where you think, oh, he's not messing around. No, no, no. (laughs) Uh, I mean, look, there have been other fantastic... Is there one for you? The nutmeg and then the assist. Sure. I think,
2: Uh, you know, just to have the... I know young players can often be audacious and try things, but, um, you know, just to have that confidence and ability uh, at his age, uh, you know, really stands out. But yeah, his whole season really has been, or was, until it was stopped. Great. What about Nketiah? I mean, I think for me, the, the games where he was started ahead of Lacazette were... Were, you know, again, that was an interesting message from Mikel Arteta and a show of faith in the talent that he had. And you know, he did score, didn't he? Um, scored. I think, in a think few the Everton goals.
1: game wasn't it. He he kept his place and he scored in that match. Um, yeah, he'd hit so the bar was, in the previous game, was it? Or Newcastle? Yeah, I think so. He'd come really close. I think he hit the bar again against Everton, actually. But uh, that would probably be. The, I mean, for mm. him, the moment is. Arteta keeping him, isn't it? Yeah, I think.
2: Yeah, it is. You know, because he played, didn't he, in the in the FA Cup against Bournemouth towards the end of January, and I can't remember Correct. if his yeah. if his future had been absolutely decided at that point, but you know, because he could have gone on loan, but yeah, to get in the team to score and then to start, you know, some Premier League games and and score in the Premier League, he scored against Everton and and what have you, so. Yeah, those are the moments.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Gunduzi. Did we say we'd have Gunduzi? Yeah. I'm just trying to think, really. Not as easy because not necessarily one of those players who, you know, is that eye-catching. I think he won the f- penalty against
2: Aston Villa. Yeah, I have to say the the... The drive. I have to say that Aston Villa performance from him yeah. was good, uh, really good, because we were down to ten men, and he took on responsibility. He did win yeah. the penalty. He drove into the box, and it's the kind of game I think that suits him, if you like, in that it's a bit chaotic. You know, I think I think yeah. maybe some of his issues are with structure. And fitting into something that's a bit more rigid because he does like to, you know, um I'm not saying he's like a schoolboy who just wants to be right on the ball a all the time, but you know, he does, he really wants <laughs> yeah. to be involved, and I think tempering that to an extent and, and and instilling in him more structure in his game is is something that Mikel Arteta will be keen to do. But that Aston Villa second half performance from him was really, really good. Mm, mm, so that will yeah, be the I one think that's for
1: me. The one. I think that is the one. Good okay. answer. Uh, here's a question from I don't know who it's from actually Okay, yes it's from Lee who is at Earl Grey underscore 23 do you think the likes of Aubameyang will regret not signing when there has been an offer from the club on the table given the current state of affairs could it be they don't get an offer of the same level from the club or even from an outsider
2: yeah, I mean they could, they could, but you know I just don't know what what's going to happen in terms of contracts and transfers and the money that's going to be available to to players. Um, yeah, I, I mean they might. Like if Aubameyang had been offered a three-year extension in January for two hundred and twenty-five grand, two hundred and fifty grand a week, he might look back on it now and regret it because he's got he's got what twelve months left, more or less, mm. on a on a very good deal. You know, make no mistake, Aubameyang's on a lot of money at Arsenal. Um, but, you know, to have an extra two years of it, uh, even with a pay cut, would be, you know, nice to have a that, that kind of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of um, security.
1: Yeah, look, I think from a financial point of view, maybe there would be some regret because I think even if he runs his contract down, I don't know... In a post coronavirus world, I don't think he's going to get the same offer that he would have done. You know, I think all businesses will be impacted, but I don't think it will affect him from a football point of view, shall we say. I don't mm. think that there won't be clubs who want to take him, maybe on fractionally less wages or slightly significantly less wages than it would otherwise have been, but I still think there'll be takers for him. You know? mm.
2: Yeah, the good players, there'll always be a market for the best players.
1: but, there's, I, there's but no I am, question. I am strongly inclined to say that, you know, the likely outcome now is that he remains with Arsenal until the end of his contract, I do think. I can't see him being bought out at his age and with his salary and mm. with things the way they are.
2: Mm. Here's a question from Felix at Felix Down Under. Why is it I so rarely hear about our most capped player, David O'Leary, or the man who holds the record number of appearances for Arsenal. As a fan growing up in the 90s, he was before my time, so I feel I know nothing about him. He never seems to be mentioned in the same breath as Adams, Wright, etc., etc. Why?
1: I think Leeds is a big part of it. Mm. Um, His association with Leeds as manager there, I think, tarnished his reputation a bit. And I think also that he, you know, if you think of the iconic... Back five of the kind of George Graham era into the Arsene Wenger era he's he's not in that you know mm. so consequently he's been slightly sidelined but I mean you must remember him as a player
2: yeah well I mean somebody who I you know really like because he was a, an Irishman and back when mm. I started supporting Arsenal there were lots of Irishmen from the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland in the team um, and he was like a very super
1: classy centre-half. Yeah, he like right? was a
2: good ball-playing centre-half. I mean, he had his issues with with Ireland when they were managed by Jack Charlton because uh, Jack Charlton preferred more of an industrial central defender. You know, he didn't want his central defenders doing anything ludicrous like trying to pass the ball to a midfielder or anything like that. So I think he, he didn't really fit... Too well with Charlton for the most part. He obviously had that very iconic moment in the in the the World Cup um, when he scored the penalty against Romania to pu- to put Ireland through to the quarterfinals mm. uh, against Italy. But I think, that, yeah, I think you're right. The Leeds thing, the 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 fact that he played for the club during what was a pretty fallow period of time in terms of success. And trophies. You know, he, he, he um, played in the 70s. Arsenal won the FA Cup in 1979 but lost the FA Cup in 78, lost the FA Cup in 80, lost the uh, Cup Winners' Cup Final in 1980. The 1980s themselves were a fairly fallow period, um, you know, yeah. for, for, for Arsenal in terms of success. So... You know, players maybe didn't um, cement legendary status because they won things. You know, um, he was, of course, part of the team that won the league title in uh, at Anfield in 1989. Mm-hmm. He was mm-hmm. in the team when Arsenal won the the was it the Milk Cup or the Littlewoods Cup uh, against Liverpool in 1987. Um, right, I remember that game. Because Charlie Nicholas scored both goals for Arsenal. Uh, but Ian Rush had put Liverpool ahead. And I think the commentator said something like, uh, and this was a stat that was doing the rounds, well, you know, Liverpool, the last time Liverpool lost a game when Ian Rush scored first was 1932 or something like that. So yeah. the odds were very much against us. And Liverpool at that time, you know, during the 1980s, were, were just the best team. In England, um, so it was a, it was a real achievement to beat Liverpool on that day and win the the Littlewoods Cup, the League Cup, and and whatever else. But you know, he's played seven hundred odd games for Arsenal. He's there now. You know, he's he's in the director's box quite a lot. And I did email, is, yeah. I did email the club to see if I could get some clarification on that. But you know, you know the way they are. Sometimes they will give you an answer, but it's there's nothing really to the answer, if you like, you know. So I I sort of asked, you know, is David O'Leary there in an an official capacity? Like, is he now a board member? Is he an honorary this? Is he an honorary that? And it was a very bland, generic answer about how, you know, certain legends represent the club, blah, 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 you know, that kind of thing. So I didn't get any real clarity there.
1: I I think there are, sort of on the traditional board, I think there were people who uh maybe would have liked him to be Well didn't to the board. didn't yeah didn't we
2: get a story uh, about how Raul Sanye- yes. he basically vetoed O'Leary's um inclusion on the football executive committee or the not the old traditional board but you know the the people who are making the football decisions at the club right now and you know you can I'll leave it up to everybody listening as to why Raoul yeah, he wouldn't want that to happen, um, you know, but that's, yeah. I,
1: yeah, I think O'Leary kind of, from what I understood, was kind of in the middle of a bit of a power struggle between the old board and the executive committee, if you see what I mean. And and yeah, there was a bit of a... Yeah, like a maybe, maybe they don't
2: want, you know, any measure of oversight, maybe. I don't know. I'm just sure, speculating. Sure. For
1: myself. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I I don't know why. And he, yeah, it's a a shame because, you know, he did tremendous things for Arsenal, didn't Mm. he? And and played an enormous amount of games. So it it is slightly odd that he's not held in slightly more affectionate Mm. terms. Have you got one more? Uh, I think I do, actually. It was about football computer games. This is it. Eddie Longbridge um, on Twitter said, Before the days of FIFA and Pro Evolution, there were many computer games based on football back in the late 80s and 90s. What was your favourite? And he ventures, Mine would have been John Barnes European Football on the Amiga.
2: John Barnes European Football on the Amiga. I wonder, does he do the commentary? Does he talk about, like... (laughs) Liverpool FC is hard as hell. United, Tottenham, (laughs) Um, I tell you what, you know, I I love video games. And I grew up playing video games. I had a a ZX Spectrum. Uh, That was my computer game thing. But in the sort of 80s and 90s, I never... I didn't have a console. I didn't have, like, a Sega Mega Drive or a Super Nintendo Chalmers. I had, you know, you could hire them, actually. You know, video video stores where you could go and rent a video cassette to watch a movie. Yeah, yeah. Those old things. Um, After a while, they started uh, renting them out. So you could rent out, like, the console and a couple of games for whatever it is, a fiver, but you had to leave like 25 euros as a deposit in case you ran off with the machine. Um, and I don't remember playing too much football on those. It always seemed to be myself and the my brother, the mug smasher, we'd hire one and stay up all night, like right through to seven in the morning. But I remember like we played Mario and Madden. We played NFL, a lot of NFL, Madden, right. American football. But I did play video games in the, in the arcades, video game okay. arcades. And there was one called Football Champ, right? which was great. And that was the one I played all the time where you could like knee people in the face and you could play, you know, I, you, it was like a World Cup kind of a thing. Um, and you'd pick, well, I always picked Holland uh, to play with.
1: Oh, I'm looking at it now. I think I've played that on an arcade, and you could tackle people quite violently. Yes. You cool. could
2: punch them, and sometimes you get sent off, and sometimes you wouldn't. Yes. You ran the risk of, of of the referee. Like sometimes the referee would get knocked over and what have you, and he, you could then go to
1: town on the opposition. Um, that was a great arcade game. I remember it yeah. very well. Another arcade game I really enjoyed was Virtuous Striker. I don't know if you ever played that.
2: But yeah, was- that was a. Bit too realistic. I remember, I remember there was one as well. Again, that I used to play in the arcade. But this would have been mid nineties um, football arcade games.
1: Because I loved uh, in these early days, sensible soccer. Don't yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember soccer.
2: sensible soccer. Um,
1: sensible soccer was great because you could sort of score from the halfway line if you angled it right. It was- Great fun.
2: Yeah, there was one of those, I think it was that football champ game had every so often, I don't know how you did it, it must have been some kind of combination of joystick and buttons, but it would do like super shoot and the ball right. would just fly and the goalkeeper would catch it, but the goalkeeper and the ball would go flying out the back of the net.
1: Yeah, 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 I think, have a recollection of that.
2: I'd love to, I'm going to have to look this up um, because I can't remember what it was, but I think it was a top down game rather than a sort of side on, if you like, mm. in the sort of sensible soccer style. Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was brilliant. I spent a lot of fifty pence pieces on that.
1: And I loved the old Championship Manager, like Championship Manager two in the mid nineties was yeah. a really good game. Yeah. Um still is quite a good game if you get it up on an emulator. And uh yeah, I think they're the main mm. ones, really. I mean, FIFA, funny because FIFA's like now obviously the game, really, mm. but it really wasn't in those. No, games no, no. Pro
2: Evolution was the was the one. Pro Evolution was the the main one, you know, to about three or four. Uh, Pro yeah. Evolution Soccer Two was brilliant. If you could get the through ball, oh, fantastic! Great times.
1: Castello, By the way, I remembered
2: Castello and Chimeles, oh, yeah. all they those guys, guys who played for North London Reds. Because <laughs> they didn't have the licence
1: uh, I remember, Yeah, F- Sensible Soccer had that And Sensible Soccer had like fictional teams as well Like there was a team called like Fairytale Land or something And they had Hobgoblin <laughs> up front He was really good <laughs> He'd want um, to be Go on, you remember what? Oh, I was just speaking of Italians I remembered while we were talking about the mid-90s A player who was sort of linked with Arsenal loads I don't know if you remember this Do you remember Beppe Signori? Oh yes, was- always being talked about as coming to Arsenal in that kind of 96, 97 early days of Wenger basically mm. um, and it didn't happen in the end wasn't
2: but, Signori uh, the guy who took penalties with like a one step run up
1: yeah I think so left footed yeah. very clinical a few injury problems so he sort of fit the Wenger profile of you mm. know he'd had some injury problems that made him a, a bit cheaper um, and yeah I think he was sort of intended to be the guy, you know, but it mm. didn't didn't happen. We ended up with someone called Analka and then someone called Sarah well, Omri. I suppose it was alright. I suppose. I suppose it was okay in the alley. I
2: suppose it'll have to do. Alright, well look, we better leave it there. Um, thank you as ever for listening. Hopefully we've provided you with some uh, measure of entertainment despite the lack of football during this lockdown and everything else. So, you know, stay well, stay healthy. We hope you're all doing alright and, and keeping well and you and yours are doing okay. Um, we'll try to do that watch rewatch thing at some point we'll organize that um we'll chat schedules off air james and see what we can squeeze into the week um so until the next one folks take it easy cheers bye-bye don't listen to the magpie's orders by the way okay
3: they want you to kill (laughs) (laughs) the voices